0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of July 1st, 2019. Happy Independence Day, America. On the show today, we're bringing you up to date on all of the news. Also, Jim continues the story of Epcot's first major makeover attempt back when Michael Eisner became CEO. And speaking of Jim, let's bring in the man who points out that every machine is a smoke machine if you use it the wrong way one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going?
1: It's smoking again, Len, it's smoking. (laughs) For those of you who remember Disney world or Disneyland back in the day, that was actually something Michael iceberg used to say from the stage at Tomorrowland Terrace. Uh, Len, did you ever get to see Michael iceberg in the amazing iceberg machine?
0: No, this is a real thing. I, I made this up, but okay.
1: Given your love of, of technology, you have to check this out. There's a couple of uh, videos on YouTube, but basically, what Michael Eisberg did—he was one of the very first people to take a Moog synthesizer and Frankenstein it in to using sound files. You know, he'd do things like—Oh, he sampled. Uh, yeah, but but this is the thing. The oh my God, in- I'm watching the videos of it now, and it's magical. He does the William Tell Overture with pigs and a wonderfully funny guy was. Back in the day when Disney would do this, when they bring in talented young people who sort of it fit is, the theme.
0: It is so tomorrow land the yeah. soundtrack. Okay, so listeners, Michael Iceberg, I C E B E R G, mm. nineteen seventy seven live at Walt Disney World on YouTube. oh he's doing the creepy version of uh zippity doodah too. There you go. <laughs> how do you know this,
1: Jim? How do you know I, this? I li- <laughs> how, do you, how do you know these things? The key is to crowd out all, all practical knowledge. That's right. <laughs> you right, know, left, right, up, down, exactly. It's so
0: just, it's... All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Marty M, Chucky G, and Michael W. And longtime subscribers Matt W. Jeremy G and Tink JFM. Jim, word on the street is that these folks were walking down Hollywood Boulevard recently and apparently with some panache, some verve and some style and they were hired on the spot to be Streetmosphere characters later this fall so if you're walking down Hollywood Boulevard in September October and you see a Streetmosphere character, the proper greeting is,
1: hey Marty, no matter what they say their name is. <laughs> well, <you know. laughs> It certainly didn't help the three gill slits. You know, that they looked at them, like, oh, <laughs> you'd be perfect for Galaxy's Edge. Come with me.
0: Come. Come over here. Come over here. There All right, Jim, let's do some news. We have a bunch of news. Don't forget, folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, a few minutes before we started recording today, Disney announced that Oh Canada would close in August to make way for a new film. This was actually formally announced at D23 last year, I believe, Mm -hmm. but rumored for a long time before that. While it's closed, the theater space will host an indoor festival marketplace. I guess sort of like the old Wonders of Life pavilion? Is that uh, that your understanding of this, Jim?
1: Given the problematic Florida weather, the fact that you have this wonderful indoor venue, you can at least use temporarily. Just sort of like, yes, let's let's put some stuff in there. When was the last time you were actually into... Oh Canada Len.
0: I went in the last 60 days. I've been. Okay.
1: So you know, you know it still has sort of the the mining theme overlay and also, yeah. you know, just with a Circle Vision film like this, even when they updated with Martin Short, which they did just ahead of the millennium, this needs a touch of updating. Canada's a relatively vibrant place, so that's what's going on here. But yeah, the the plan is They've been capturing images already, but I guess there's a couple of things that they're they're looking to get in the next couple of months and, you know, that it would reopen in 2020.
0: Yeah, that's what I heard. Early, uh, early 2020 in time for, uh, like, marathon crowds?
1: I think they've done as part of the Mickey Mouse series of shorts the paul felix bunch they've done a canada one and oh uh,
0: thailand just came out this week
1: there we go yeah alice was just talking about that so yeah those two may arrive mickey's runaway railway and the canada update may arrive in the same window of time in 2020
0: i think it helps too that with wonders of life being closed for building out the new play pavilion that canada becomes available during food and wine number one Oh, absolutely. If it's, a, if it's going to be a festival yeah. center, it's not at the opposite end of the park. Mm-hmm. Number two, they needed a place to do festival center stuff, so this is as good as any. So it's kind of a, a dual-use thing. That's not bad at all. Jim, uh, uh, is there any word about when China's getting its new film? I'm told there are more announcements coming up soon There
1: are, There are, and not to introduce politics here, but the tariffs have complicated uh, the situation. Somewhat is so appointed in every frustration at Disney, but... It certainly helps to help have a park in Shanghai. Yeah, it's true. Sort of like, we're going to be here forever. He's not. <laughs> Can we get this film made? <laughs> Magic A-Ball says, check okay, back so we later in the China film.
0: Jim, and, uh, in other Epcot news, Disney announced yesterday that the U.S. Pavilion's Liberty Inn restaurant will close and get a new menu serving barbecue. Liberty Inn closes July 8th, so next week. No word on when the new restaurant reopens, but it'll be called Regal Eagle Smokehouse Craft Drafts and Barbecue. Jim, i got to say, I am a fan of the new concept because Liberty Inn isn't very good and I like barbecue. Mm -hmm. But I hate, hate, hate the name. Ignore the fact that all restaurant names now include the menu in the name. That's just a consequence of people using phones to search for restaurants. The thing that irks me, Jim, is the Regal Eagle part. And that's because Regal means fit for a monarch, from the Latin Reg or Rex. Not for nothing, James but the entire premise of the American adventure is this country's journey away from kings and towards a more inclusive republic. Using the word Regal in this context is the literal opposite of what Eagle represents and the exact opposite. I'm just pointing this out for everyone involved. The entire script of the American adventure next door, (laughs) this sloppy work, it's sloppy work, Jim. And I hope every patriotic American that visits this place points it out on guest surveys. Drives me up, took me three seconds to say, doesn't Regal mean king? Okay. Like, does nobody own a dictionary, Jim? Does nobody own a dictionary in the chain of command that
1: made this decision? Nobody could be arsed to look it up. Remember, Disney owns ABC. What you stare on ABC? Three's Company. Where do the characters on Three's Company used to go? The Regal Beagle. Jim, if they can't look up the word Regal in the dictionary, no one's going back to Three's Company trivia. It's just not
0: happening. I'm gonna call it the Regal Beagle. There we That's go. It. I'm right. just going to, I am just gonna call it the Regal Beagle. Okay. There's gonna be a typo, Jim. Yep. In the neck in the update of the 2020 unofficial guide that calls it the Regal Beagle, and we're all gonna understand where that typo came from. There we go. And I'm using the word typo in air quotes. <laughs> 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 all right, Jim. One more quick uh, Disney thing. I was doing some patent research. Yes, you know, as one does, and found that Disney. Published a patent, or had a patent application published June 20th for these things called customizable tiles. I'll read you the title of it Inferring the Transfer of a Physical Object Associated with a Wearable Device. So the idea is you've got these little electronic, for lack of a better word, tiles that you can trade among people. And the thing that caught my eye was a drawing on one of the pages that explains how this all works. It says, you saw your friend Laffy Duck at 10 a.m. Laffy Duck. Laffy Duck gave you a laughing duck tile at 10.03 a.m. You encountered another user at 11 a.m. You saw your friend Happy Mouse at noon. You and Happy Mouse traded tiles at 12.01. Ignoring the whole Laffy Duck and Happy Mouse thing. It sounds to me like this is Disney trying to do pin trading, but electronically.
1: What's going on here? Welcome to the brave new world of the return to the past, land.
0: <laughs> is, is it 1999
1: all all over again? It is, all right. I mean, and, and, it's not bad. Prince is alive at 1999, so. There we go. A good thing. All okay. right, go ahead. Uh, but no, r- realistically, if you remember when pin trading was introduced for the Millennium Celebration at Walt Disney World, it became this huge revenue stream for the company that they promptly screwed up by overexpanding. The company has been trying to, to figure out how to hit the reset button and reintroduce. Yeah,
0: because remember they did missions and that was okay, but... Mm -hmm.
1: But something like this that allows you to circle back on pin trading, but in a way that allows you to incorporate people's phones and this use of brand new smart technology. Disney has very, very, very high hopes for rolling this out as part of the 50th anniversary. In fact, they want people oh, to be my. able to go home and show off their their amazing new magical pin.
0: Well, that makes sense because the, the patent definitely says that they're electronic devices, but mm-hmm. they're low voltage electronic devices and that apparently comes. can't transmit the information on their own. So the mm-hmm. patent is all about how other devices detect who's got what pins without the pins explicitly saying, I belong to this person and I'm this pin. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay
1: probably time to start heading back over to see what sort of trademarks are getting registered because they're they're trying out a couple of different names from this because they don't want to necessarily call it a pin because, right. again, it has a connotation or there's a still a world of pin trading. it's It's not nearly what it was back in 99 to say 2003 but time to start paying attention to copyright registrations because there'll be a new name dropping for this thing in the next six eight months and hmm. look look for it to get rolled out very, very soon after that.
0: Are you thinking time for the uh, 50th in 2021?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Interesting, all right, we'll
0: look out for that then. Mm-hmm. Awesome, Jim. All right, Jim, one more quick thing. Universal opened phase one of its endless summer resort yesterday called Surfside Inn. I stayed there and there's a lot to like. Let me say, first of all, that Universal can build the heck out of a value resort. I am a huge fan of Cabana Bay. Mm-hmm. I like Cabana Bay quite a bit. So this one I had sort of high hopes about. There's a lot of things that I, I like about it. I think the rooms are really well designed. I stayed in one of the two-bedroom suites. It's actually a, a main room with one bedroom on the side. Mm-hmm. It says it sleeps six. I don't know that I would put more than four people in there. <laughs> if you
1: count the two, you could hang up on coat hangers, then. so. They yeah.
0: uh, There's actually a lot of hangable storage in there. They've got like in... Well-designed bars and restaurants. There are little hooks that hang underneath the bar for you to put your handbag, oh. um, and they've got these all over the room. Wow! Very clever for like backpacks and mm-hmm. other things. Gets everything off the floor, okay. so you've got more more space to walk around. There's also plenty of storage underneath the three beds in the two-bedroom suite. So I thought I thought that the room design was very very good. They're smaller than the Disney's value suites, so it's smaller than what you get at Art of Animation or at All Star Music, but very well designed. It felt like there was plenty of room. I, th- I think there'd be plenty of room with even with four people in there. Again, six kind of pushing it. Lots of USB plugs, lots of outlets. Very interesting use of space, like in the, um, because it's smaller, you know, space is a premium, but in the, um, in the suite bedroom, mm-hmm. right? They actually have a, uh, like a storage closet mm-hmm. um, where you can put you know, your luggage and you can hang up your pants and shirts and things that need to go on hangers. But the interesting thing is there's not a door in front of this storage unit. It's actually little fabric drapes that slide across. And, and the reason why is a door would take up space. Mm-hmm. This bedroom is small enough that the door literally wouldn't work. So it's a, it's a very clever solution to that particular problem. Works well, looks good, fits in the overall sort of like beach theme mm-hmm. of the whole thing. Very nice piece of, of engineering there. The other thing I will say is probably the best soundproofing I've seen in a value resort in a long,
1: long time. I love how you guys do the sound test for the unofficial guy. <laughs> <laughs> So this one, we didn't even need to bring in our copy of the Who's
0: Greatest Hits. Oh. The carpet had been freshly shampooed mm-hmm. and directly outside of my door was one of those large carpet blower motor things that spreads air out. And it was, it was loud. I mean, you could hear it all the way down the hall. And mm-hmm. by the way, I think the hall is literally 100 yards long. Oh. It was one of those from the Shining sort mm-hmm. of long walls. Anyway, directly outside of my door was a a blower, an industrial blower motor trying to dry the carpets for when guests came in. Mm -hmm. As soon as I closed the door, I couldn't hear a thing. Wow. Yeah, fantastic. I could barely hear people uh, like running down the halls screaming. Mm -hmm. You could tell that they were screaming, but it was so muffled that it was almost inconsequential. Mm -hmm. Very good soundproofing. And if I was actually in the the bedroom with an extra door, I I didn't hear anything at all. That was all really good. The other thing I would say is the people who designed the parking lot, Mm -hmm. because you know this is the kind of thing that we care about, Jim, they did a fantastic job. So this is on the corner of, I I think it's uh, Sand Lake Road and I Drive, Mm -hmm. a very busy intersection. But Universal was smart in that they didn't put the entrance at that intersection. They actually moved it down Sand Lake Road about 100 yards and that makes it easier to get into and out of because you're not dealing with the traffic that's turning on and off of iDrive right there. By putting it like a hundred yards farther down, everyone's had time to sort of spread out a little bit. You make an easy right into the parking lot. There's covered parking, it's $14. That part of it in and out and the the, the whole parking lot thing is, is is really, really well designed. So overall I thought it was, uh, it was really good. There are a couple of downsides. The food court is tiny. Mm. It's very small. It's much smaller than Cabana Bay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have the charm of Cabana Bay. And I think most of the food is prepared and then sort of set out onto dishes. Not super fresh. The pillows are thick foam. It's a value resort. Mm -hmm. I get the use of foam pillows. But foam pillows, Jim, are the devil's headdress. (laughs) So... (laughs) we we should not encourage the use of foam pillows okay it's satan's bed linens Mm -hmm. um the other thing is um the towels are 86 percent cotton 14 percent polyester the first word that came to mind when i showered was Mm -hmm. abrasive they are rough honest to god they feel like they've they were used and universal bought them cheap and and started using them again they're rough there's they're small and they're rough there's no way around that okay it's the kind of thing you would get at a cheap water park good news is Those are soft good issues. They can be fixed relatively easy. Mm -hmm. The Wi-Fi speed, Jim, was—I measured this several times—0.2 megabytes per second. I can talk faster than that, Jim. (laughs) I could have literally screamed out one zero zero one zero zero one zero zero," and and rendered, you know, the Google News page faster than Mm -hmm. than the uh, the internet I got. So, but I mean, the Wi-Fi can be fixed too. I think that uh, because the soundproofing is so good, you've got an issue like over at um, Art of Animation where you're basically in a bunker. I was on the fourth floor. I wasn't getting cell phone reception like in probably half the room. So I don't know if there's uh, some repeaters that need to be installed or what, but that issue needs to be a fixed. But overall, the thing that I liked, my suite with tax was about $140 for a two-bedroom. Again, one bedroom and one main room thing. Plenty of room for $140. The standard rooms start at $85 a night. So they come without uh, without the extra Bedroom. Also, Jim, Universal's actually told hotels on I Drive that they're going to keep prices about this low for up to seven years.
1: This is away from what they consider the main campus.
0: Yeah, I did have to take a bus across I four and across I Drive to get to CityWalk. Took about, I think, seventeen minutes end to end. Originally, I thought that was actually kind of slow, but then I think about going from like Animal Kingdom Lodge to the Magic Kingdom.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm like, yeah, seventeen minutes. What's seventeen minutes?
1: If you talk with the folks at Universal. <laughs> they're like off the record. It's actually quicker to go from Surfside over to the drop-off point to get to the park than it is if you're over at Cabana Bay. And that's because it's a straight mm. shot as opposed to, I want to say, it's at least two traffic lights before you, you know, if you're coming out of Cabana Bay.
0: That's a good point. So the uh, our bus got stuck yesterday. Um, so I was trying to get to City Walk at mm-hmm. 7 p.m. on a Thursday, very crowded time. Yep. We actually got stopped a couple of places. One is right after we crossed over I-4, we got stopped at that first intersection where sort of the traffic divides, mm-hmm. depending on where you're, you're where they're going to the resorts or going to the, um, to the parks. And so we stopped for a couple of light cycles there. And then actually making the right to go into this towards the city walk drop off point. We spent probably a good few minutes just stopped there while all the traffic sorted itself out. Cause you're coming in from two different directions there. And if you don't time the light right, what ends up happening is cars get stuck in the intersection because they try and they try and make the light from the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. So that's not great traffic engineering. But other than that, it was, it was fine. Getting back was a breeze because it was you know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Overall, not bad. So overall, I mean, not a bad experience. I, uh, I don't like as much as Cabana Bay, but for the money, the hard to say it's not a good resort. When does the second phase open? Is it next year or the... uh...
1: It's scheduled for March of 2020, Lynn. This would be the dockside in suites. And in fact, of course, at full build-out, this is one resort. Universal's Endless Summer with the surfside and the dockside. And supposedly Mm -hmm. there is other restaurant uh, options and that sort of thing coming online once dockside goes. That's
0: what I thought. Dockside looked to be bigger. Mm -hmm.
1: But overall, when this is done... This is two thousand fifty rooms. Something. At that price point, it's a big rock in the pond that is I drive and it's gonna be interesting to watch what happens to the hotels around this, whether they're going to have to lower their price point to be competitive. This is also part of Universal's plan to expand the concept of its campus. Yeah. We have all the site prep and all the work that's being done right now across from the orange county convention center for fantastic worlds
0: and oh there's a ton of construction going on it you can see a lot of it from uh from my hotel room
1: mm, okay wow.
0: The uh, the other thing i liked about the hotel room you know you're, you're right there on i drive but mm-hmm. the particular section of i drive that you're on mm-hmm. isn't bad i was walking distance to a cvs not that i <laughs> yes. you know needed anything from cvs but mm-hmm. but you know there are times when you're on vacation you're like i need some band-aids yeah or yep. i just i need some advil or something and it's, it's a block away mm-hmm. yeah, so i was wondering you know when I was pulling in, is this going to be like the CD end or the not so great end of, of international drive? But it turned out it's it looked not bad
1: and it looked like, you know, having a CVS very close to be convenient. So mm-hmm. overall, I, I was pretty happy with it. This thing literally opened this past week. So hopefully the soft good stuff that you addressed and, and more to the point. Yeah, the, they'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, and if they can get the oxen that's driving the Wi-Fi to move a little faster. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's actually a telegraph. that Someone's actually oh, typing out the there ones we and go. zeros. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Wendell Wilkie
0: won! Hey. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim is going to talk about the last time Epcot went through a major overhaul when Michael Eisner became CEO. So come back for that in a minute. All right, James. Last time we had uh, we started talking about the events that led up to Michael Eisner becoming CEO mm-hmm. and how Epcot played a part in that. When we left off, Michael Eisner had just walked in the door and somebody in uh, on the Disney Board of Directors dropped Epcot in his lap. What happened next?
1: There's this amazing story that the New York Times ran on October 17th. He, he literally, he's been on the job for maybe three weeks at this point. And they talk about his work ethic. This is a quote from the piece. Within 10 days, Mr. Eisner had collared a bright mid-level executive and told him to find the six most creative people at Disney and to have them at his house at 8 a.m. the next Sunday morning. (laughs) Jeez. So by the time he took his six-year-old son to a soccer game at 11 a.m., the group had come up with three ideas for Saturday morning animated shows, including one that was supposed to star the characters from Disney's animated film The Rescuers. Later, in a meeting at the studio, he asked, what was our highest grossing animated film? I said, well, as of right now, Mr. Eisner, that's Rescuers. And it's like, okay, we're going to make a th- sequel to Rescuers, and the cat was, of course, 1990s, The Rescuers Down Under. And then, what's our highest grossing live action film? And, well, Mr. Eisner, that that's Mary Poppins. And so, okay, let's get started on that. And, of course, that took till 2018 to finally make it happen. The version that almost got off the ground in the 80s, Len, where it was Julie Andrews starring with Michael Jackson? No. We'll get to that another time. That's something that was actually in the works or came off the back of Captain EO. But anyway, as as Michael's coming through the door, he's, all right, what are do we doing about Epcot? He's like, don't worry about Mr. Iser, we're already on it, because they had had to reveal back in June that attendance in florida had fallen off by 17 percent through march of of 84 but it's like the worry was repeat business especially among florida residents because what appeared to have happened is between october of 1982 through september of 83 you know a lot of florida residents came out tried Epcot, and went, eh, it hadn't come back yet so what they decided to do in the interim in fact they tied this initially uh, this started just before Eisner came through the door on September 7th, 1984 was with the opening of the Morocco Pavilion at World Showcase. They mm-hmm. launched what was called World Fest. And every month they had a different celebration at a different pavilion. So for example, start off with Morocco. The very next month is October was Germany and okay, low-hanging fruit, OctoberFest. Sure. Every once in a while, you got to give them a gimme. Yeah, (laughs) and and then November, they celebrated in Italy. December, it was the United Kingdom, and that keyed off of the fact that they could do Dickens-style carolers and celebrate Victorian Christmas. January was China. February was Canada. France was celebrated in March. April was Japan, supposedly to key off of the Cherry Blossom Festival. Uh, May was Mexico, Cinco de Mayo. Salute to all nations, but mostly America. America, the first year, Len, of World Fest, got June, July, and August. But yeah, they they really hoped this would bring the Florida locals out and sort of help spur this along. Disney that year sold a, a $40 annual pass just for annual pass holders. Mind you, it was only good in January, May, and September. Which back then, evidently, were the lowest attended months. Does that huh. correlate at all to today? Or
0: summer is very slow, mm-hmm. probably because of the heat.
1: Okay. Anyway, again, so Eisner comes to New uh September twenty third, and he looks at the World Fest plans and he just asks for a couple of small tweaks. And one of those uh, we've talked about in the past was the complete lack of Epcot characters, uh, or Disney characters in Epcot. And so he was like, you know, you need to do something. So by Thanksgiving of that year, and again, weeks after Eisner came through the door, you had Mickey, Donald, Goofy, Minnie, Pluto, and Chippendale wandered around a future world, and basically they wrapped them in tinfoil. You know, just sort of like, oh, it's the future, look, we're shiny. And then to help build interest in World Fest, we also saw the characters start to pop up around World Showcase, in, uh, I remember this. Yeah. So you had Minnie in a kimono, and you had Chip and Dale with Chinese sandpan hats on, and Pluto in a serapi, and a saramp- sombrero, and Goofy in kilts. And and again, because Mickey's the big guy, he's the one who hangs out in America. You know, it's like, walk all the way around World Showcase Lagoon, come find him. What For me, what's fascinating is how fast Eisner worked. Now, you and I have talked previously about the entertainment pavilion. The whole notion of Eisner wanted it, the park to be more entertaining, so the Imagineers literally said, okay, how about an entertainment pavilion? We'll put it between Journey into Imagination and The Land. They present this to him in the fall of 84, Len, Good. by February of 1985, as Eisner's chairing his first ever Disney shareholders meeting. He's down in Orlando at the Contemporary. He says, hey, we're going to build a, a brand new attraction. We're going to build a Walt Disney Studio tour. In Epcot. Well, no, this is the thing. By then, this thing had mutated from something that was going to be built inside of Epcot to a standalone attraction, literally a standalone park. Okay. He's only been there since, you know, September 23rd.
0: Yeah, since the fall. He's already building his uh, th- the third park.
1: Four four months in.
0: So he, he doubles down on park expansion. Oh, they, yeah. they have issues with the second park, which almost kills the company. Mm-hmm. And Michael's like, you know, we need a third.
1: Yeah, well, a park that people will actually want to go to. Remember, we, we talked on the last show about how Disney had only put out three new movies the previous year. And right. here's Michael talking about, I want us to be doing 12 movie, new movies a year. I want a new movie every month. And so he needed places to make those. So that's that's the other thing of, of Florida. He was looking to build the movie studio down there so he could
0: up... Oh, uh, right, so he could crank out movies. Yep. Cheap movies.
1: Cheaper to make, certainly, in a right-to-work state. Anyway, getting back yep. to Epcot, World Fest is moving the needle a little, but okay. not as much as it needs. And Eisner's like, well, what else you got? What else you got? And so here comes Gary Penman and Scott Cazorcha. Steve? Steve Scorgia? Steve Scorgia. Okay. They come in and pitch to Eisner this thing called Magical Rainbows, which I swear to God, this is the actual storyline that they pitched Dizner.
0: So just, just as a quick word to, for our listeners, do we need to drop acid before you explain this to us? <laughs> Somebody needs like 40 minutes or so for it to kick in, I think.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I think it probably diabetes medicine would probably be a better way to
0: okay. go. If you've got mushrooms, go
1: ahead. Okay. <laughs> look, look, look around the yard for
0: anything that looks edible. Go ahead.
1: Okay, right. so because this is a park that doesn't have Disney characters. So right. when they go were Disney looking character. to build you know what do they do? They turn to the one character that they have in the park, the Dreamfinder. So, creative conceit of the show is the Dreamfinder, and we're talking a real live actor playing the robotic host. And, but he would be flying above World Showcase Lagoon in a, a blimp that was tricked out to look like the old, uh, A know, real the, an actual blimp, actual filled actual with blimp. Light, yeah. lighter than air vehicle. With a person in it. With a person in it who would wave to you as he he flew around World Showcase Lagoon and it would set up the premise that he was about to launch into the sky a gumdarp rainbow. But the thing is, when we say gumdarp rainbow, he's shooting off colored smoke in the sky and the voiceover narration is like, oh dear, I hope that doesn't get in the water. And of course, the colored smoke drifts down and what happens is that when the colored smoke reaches down to Lagoon, that's when the gumdrop smoke becomes green-eyed dragons. Uh, Twelve of them.
0: It sounds like someone got a, uh, their hands on a preview copy of Goonies. This is 1985, <laughs> right, Jim? There we go. There we go. I'm sorry. A preview copy of Goonies and a 12-pack of Bud Light.
1: That's what I'm. <laughs> that's what I'm. That's what I'm hearing so far, Jim. Continue. So, ten little dragons and two big ones. Ma and Pa Dragon. And because of the sudden dragon infestation, the Dreamfinder calls out the World Showcase Navy and the Royal Air Force, which are ultralights and parasails. And the, he then harnesses the imagination of all those standing around world showcase lagunas who are watching this very loud, very chaotic show. And with their help, he's then able to turn these twelve dragons into harmless dragonflies. Eisner, know, it was like, okay, yeah, I like the show. Hate the name. Magical rainbows come up with something else, and they huddle with the Disney PR team. And so it, the show then becomes Skaleidoscope, which is a kaleidoscope of colors in the sky. Skaleidoscope. Not an inexpensive show to put together, Land. A lot of flying things, actual oh, things that fly man. in no. the air. Yeah. Cast of 80, and, and a lot of those <sighs> the- have to be licensed pilots.
0: I mean, the liability, the equity
1: performers, it's... Okay, all right, go ahead, go ahead. But 60 pieces of equipment, speedboats, sailboats, ultralight seaplanes, man kites, jet skis. The one item that rarely appeared in the show and was honestly the most expensive thing to build was the Dreamfinder's blimp. Disney actually built a blimp. They actually built a blimp. I have been chasing, I've only seen one or two photographs of this thing. Evidently, they got this thing up in the air and the slightest breeze, the lightest wind, would blow it off course. Uh, well, it's a
0: good thing there aren't storms in Florida, especially oh, in the no, afternoon. No, not
1: at all. In order to have this thing up and running for the fall of '85, they had to build a giant dock facility. Illuminations. This is the area that they built. These days is actually used to house uh, where the illuminations globe and the fire barge and all that is located. And in fact, it, that whole area is being redone for the new Lagoon Show right now. They also had to build an airfield where the air the ultralights would take off from. This is, uh, in fact, you know that w- was one of the more interesting things about staying at the old Caribbean beach in the, the old configuration is that when they would do other ultralight shows, they'd take off from there. So every so often you'd look up and it's like, wow, that's Mickey, Donald, and Goofy flying overhead. Oh. Also, again, because this was a tough show, to coordinate, tough show to rehearse. They'd actually have to do the rehearsals at five o'clock in the morning, mm. which anybody who does any flying will tell you, the way the air is, the way it's. It oh, the air
0: currents it. at uh, five o'clock in the morning versus three o'clock in the afternoon are completely yeah. different.
1: But anyway, September twenty second, nineteen eighty five, one day shy of when Isaac's anniversary of coming on as the new CEO, they launched this show. It is so complex and so expensive to stage. They initially only presented on Saturdays and Sundays at three o'clock in the afternoon, again, supposedly with the incentive to get Florida residents, you know, out of their houses, away from their air conditioning to come out to Epcot. And Ron Logan, the vice president of entertainment at Walt Disney World, he talked about how Eisner paid for Skaleidoscope, but it turns out that Skylidoscope was Frank Wells. He was the president of, of Disney at, at that yep. time. This was his favorite show. Really? Frank would come out must have come out 15 different times to watch this thing. He'd go to the control booth and sit inside there and t- typically Frank Wells evidently would fall asleep in a half a second. But you know he he'd sleep there for like a half hour and as soon as the show starts. He he just loved the chaos of the thing. He loved the ultralights and the flying and the the noise and the smoke and It was popular, Len. It actually, at its height, they actually, because so many guests wanted to see it, they bumped it out from on the the weekends to they started it midweek on Wednesdays, and again, one show per day. Unfortunately, August 1st, 1987, just shy of two years of the run of the show, a tragedy struck. Uh, Rick Harper, one of the flyers of the Ultralights. This accident happened at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, uh-huh. Supposedly it was just, they were doing sort of an offsite rehearsal, coordinating the nine ultralights that took part in the show. Nobody to this day understands what happens, but Rick, uh, 27 of Wintergarden, his craft just nose dived into an open field south of Epcot. They mediflighted him out of there. They got him to Orlando Regional Medical Center, the Sand Lake facility, and he was Pronounced dead at 115. I mean, they they moved him quickly and yeah. If
0: you're crashing in an ultralight, I mean, there's, there's basically you're, it's like free falling. There's nothing uh, there's nothing around you to protect you.
1: Everybody who flew the ultralights had a parachute, but evidently Rick tried to oh. bail out of the craft at a thousand feet. His chute got caught in the craft and just basically went down with it. So oh. Disney discontinued the show at that point to investigate, and Scalidoscope never came back.
0: It really it never came back after that.
1: No. Mind you, Disney was already looking, you know, a, again, because you, you face it, the, the problem was that the Dreamfinder, along with all of these dragons, it's like everyone was sort of looking out on the lagoon. It's like, well, that's nice, but I'm really here to see the Disney characters. The next time we, we talk about how Michael was trying to turn around Future World, we'll get to how he tried to began shooing, horning in even more Disney characters.
0: I cannot wait to see this uh, this video. I'm going to play it now. and, and uh, I don't remember any of this show.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, no, trust me. It's just you might really want to watch Skaleidoscope with the sound off because <laughs> okay. it's all of these jet skis. It's all of these power boats. Anybody who, who saw this actually around World Showcase Lagoon will talk to you about the noise level and, to be honest, the choking smoke, because there was just so so many things out of the lagoon that would
0: oh, like they, they were using yeah, they were using like the uh, flares and uh, smoke and yeah. stuff to uh, yeah. Oh, plus the boats yeah. with the diesel ex- or the with the gasoline exhaust from the engines and stuff like that. Oh yeah, look at that. There is a it's basically Los Angeles downtown with a small here.
1: <laughs> no, look at that. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, so, there you go, folks. You have two homework assignments with this, this, from this show. Two Watched, videos, yeah. So, uh, yeah. What know. was the first, the first one? Uh, Michael Iceberg and the Amazing Iceberg. Michael Iceberg, and the,
0: and the second uh, YouTube video is Skeletoscope, Epcot mm. Center at Disney World, nineteen eighty-six.
1: Yep. And, wow. Yep. And and be sure to bring a, one of those air masks just in case it gets out of the computer. So.
0: Boy, these uh, these uh, ultralights were doing some. Very complicated tricks, not
1: very far above
0: no. World Showcase Lagoon. No. This is interesting.
1: Again, remember, Glenn, it was the 1980s. We, we actually encouraged children then to run with scissors. <laughs> that's right. That's when lawn darts were a thing. I remember it go. now. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So. That puts it all
0: into context, Jim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. I'm going to uh, go watch, uh, get some lunch and watch this uh, video. Hmm. Folks, that's going to do it for our uh, Disney Dish show today. Thank you very much, Jim, for that entertaining uh, look back. For more of us, head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, just named captain of Palm Springs, California's new American Hockey League franchise, set to start playing in the fall of 2021. Don't forget to go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.